Good evening and happy new year, AHS family. Welcome to the first finance committee of 2022. Uh, we are excited to get started and we will begin with a roll call. Trustee Blue is not here. I will reach out to her. Trustee Steen. Present. Trustee Fox. Present. Trustee Friedman. Present. Trustee Splendorio. Here. We have a quorum, thank you. Thank you so much. And we can begin by also uh, getting approval of the minutes from our last meeting. So moved. Actually, there's another item up first, the resolution for AB 361. Thank you, that comes before the minutes. Uh, does anyone wanna make a, a motion to approve the resolution that we maintain so socially moved. distant Zoom meetings? Second. All right, All right uh, Trustee Esteen. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Splendoria. Yes. The motion passes. Thank you. Now we can uh, get uh, approval of the minutes. So moved. Second. All right. Uh, to approve the minutes, Trustee Esteem. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Splendoria. Yes. The motion passes, thank you. That's great. Now we will hear from our Chief Financial Officer, Kim Miranda. Okay, share my screen. Everyone can see that Finance Committee presentation. Yes, yes. Yes, looks great. All right. And so here's the volume slide. This is the November report. Um, volumes were beginning to ramp up. Um, you know, as many of you may know, we've been quite busy, uh, particularly uh, currently. Uh, but in November, we were starting to see the increases. Um, in the month of November, our uh, discharges were uh, down 10.7 from budget, which was established based on pre-COVID levels. Um, but patient days were down only 3%. So you can see that our average length of stay went up 9.3 or half a day. Um, and if you look down here further, you see our trauma cases picked up 11.3%. Uh, many of those cases have longer, longer lengths of stay. And when you combine that also with a higher medical mix with a longer length of stay, it explains some of that variance. Um, our CMI was definitely higher than budget, but below our year-to-date. In regard to surgeries, we're in the inpatient level, back to the pre-COVID level, so that's great to see. You can see we were off 11.6 to 5.2, and this month we were actually above budget. Elective surgeries are still running behind. Uh, that's mostly the outpatient um, surgeries. Skipping down here to skilled nursing, uh, on the positive light, we were actually able to get more discharges out because we need those beds to, to discharge into. So that's the good news. Um, however, the skilled nursing uh, facilities are still struggling with lots of COVID cases, um, with roof repairs and leaks, um, but things are, are picking up and that seeing those discharges is a good sign. 
In regard to clinic visits, we're really high this month, up 12.5%. Uh, most of that, or all of it actually, is coming from vaccine visits. We had 4,337 vaccine visits in the month of November. <laughs> so that is a lot. So we had a great month. Um, we basically had net income of 25.1 million. That is 22.3 million better than budget. That helped us quite a bit year to date. We're now at 32.6 better than budget. And if you look at our EBITDA, uh, earnings before interest, depreciation, amortization, sort of a, uh, our cash flow indicator, um, we are at 25.9 for the month, 22 million over budget. And year to date, we're at 31.5 million better than budget. So what happened? Um, if you look at the Revenue slide here, you can see our gross patient revenues were above budget, which means above that where we would have expected uh, pre-COVID. Most of that being driven by inpatient. As I said, um, we did have a longer length of stay, so um, we had more inpatient days. Uh, so that's driving a lot of that. Our outpatient volumes were also strong. Um, Net revenue, however, was 6.5 million better, 13% than budget. And that is all being driven by the collection ratio at 18.5%. That is quite a bit ahead of budget and ahead of year to date. And there are several things driving this. Um, for starters, we had a lot of um, paid accounts on fully reserved accounts. And that probably sounds very confusing to many of you. But when we look at how we set our um, collection ratio on charges, we look at historical collections, um, but we only go back for AR that's nine months old. So anything, any AR account that is more than nine months old, we assume that we're not going to collect anything on it. We don't write it off, but we assume in our net revenue model that we're not going to collect any more money on that account. And what we saw is a lot of work being done, some of it being driven by best, the best effort in Huron, to go look at these accounts and see if we can collect on them. And we were successful. Um, so that did bring in additional money that we were able to pick up this month. And then in addition to that, we had several projects going on. Um, one was with Triage, that's a vendor. They work our low pay accounts and they were also looking at our transfer DRG payments. And they were able to bring in 1.1 million. That was not all in the month of November. Um, I can't specifically tell you exactly which month this occurred. We are still reconciling payments back to our system. But um, there was 1.1 million um, from the reports I got from them. And then with United Healthcare as part of our payer contracting strategy, we went back and evaluated the, uh, the contracts and discovered there was an error. And we, uh, I think we've talked about this before, but United Healthcare agreed to go back and re-adjudicate all of our trauma claims. And at this point, they say they have reprocessed claims and we received the $1.5 million. And again, we're going back and validating that on patient accounts. 
So those are the key um, drivers for this high collection ratio. Um, the next slide has the rest of the revenue and we have nothing but more good news. Um, if you look at the waiver here, that's the Medi-Cal waiver, we have a positive variance of just about 31 or 30.1 million. Two factors driving that. One is we received additional GPP funding. This is actually new information on old funds, so old program funds. So we're able to bring them in this year into revenue versus last year. And in addition to that, we now know that the American Rescue Plan Act, ARPA, we're gonna get 17.1 million. I don't know if that's it, if there'll be more. This is new revenue, completely not budgeted. Where you may remember us talking about ARPA funds is with the state on paying back the FY12 waiver. Um, because we hadn't budgeted it, the state asked me if we could, if we actually get those funds, could we use them to pay back one of the old waivers, the FY12 one, where we owe $21 million in addition to what we paid in July? It's going back a few months. Don't expect you all to remember all that. But we did get this money, and therefore we are going to make the we're going to close out the FY12 um, uh, recoupment, which is great news. So, and we're able to do it with this with this funding. So that was that's a very positive event for the organization. And then, in addition to that, on our supplemental programs, we had quite a few adjustments um, that that occurred, um, most from prior year. Uh, we got an additional funding from. EPP of 8.4 million. Uh, we got a new model for QIP for 21 from CAPH on 12 one. So we went ahead and booked this in November of 6.2. And then um, we'll talk about this a little more later, but the ABA 5 realignment um, process is, 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 a, is a significant amount of money, about, about $46 million that we get on a amendment from the county for um, uh, it's, it's the base contracts for the HPAC. And then we tie a bunch of quality indicators to it. And we do these um, amendments that are worth this additional funding. And this is kind of a new process. So we've been recording that revenue and then writing it off. And so this time with the auditors, we decided, hey, let's, let's not do that. If we really think we're only going to be able to keep $6 million of the, you know, rounding up $50 million, then let's only accrue what we think we're going to get. So, you know, now we've got enough years history to do this. We are aligned with our auditors. So we went ahead, we did part of it as part of the audit. And then now we cleaned up the rest of it for 21 and 22, since we had these other items that we could offset. So again, this allows us to, to take care of this. So I'm not coming back in June with a big hit. Uh, and also net net to our bottom line is a positive between these adjustments. So I'm gonna just pause there in case someone wants to uh, ask a question because that is a lot that I just went through. <laughs> Everybody's being quiet. And I think before the supplements, I just want to say kudos on the accounts receivable and uh, just remind everybody that we are having some changes that Terry Manifesto is retiring 
and that part of the accounts receivable work was under her leadership. And so, you know, a big, big uh, debt of gratitude is owed for her work and her leadership. And uh, it's clearly paying off in addition to working with the, the Huron folks and the best initiative. So great job there. So I wonder what, what is our plan for replacing Terry at this point? Uh, thanks for that shout out, uh, Trustee Esteen. And uh, Trustee Fox, uh, we have found a replacement. Her name is Sherry Johnson. Um, you may know that name. <laughs> uh, and she's gonna start in two weeks. Uh, she comes from working in both Cerner and Epic environments. Uh, she's been a VP of Revenue Cycle and other large organizations, including Common Spirit. Uh, she also uh, what, had her own business for a while and did consulting. So uh, I think she will be a great addition to the team. I really like her personality and that in some ways it's kind of similar to Terry's um, uh, where she's very calm and focused and she loves performance improvement. And uh, I'm really excited that you know, we were able to bring her on board. I'm sure you will all be meeting her soon. Well, great news to uh, avoid having a long gap between the two of them. I have Terry to thank for that as well, because this Terry wanted to retire. I knew she wanted to retire. And so we, we planned this together. So well done. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Well done. Yes, I, I'm gonna miss Terry. <laughs> so uh, here's the operating expenses. And uh, you can see November, we're over 10.4% in total. 3.4% uh, year to date. Um, the largest variance right off the bat there is labor, which we'll talk about on the next slide. There's really only two other things to mention here. Um, purchase services, those have been uh, favorable all year. What's happening is um, we made a, 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 a estimate of what we would owe here on under the contingency arrangement. And it is just an estimate because we're still, we've only into the engagement a few months, but things are looking really nicely, okay? There's a lot of great work happening. And so we went ahead and we accrued $2 million of a payment for them. And we'll end up um, settling that all out as we look at all of the um, performance initiatives and what's been earned. So there's very detailed schedules that we need to go through but I didn't want to record all this additional revenue and not also pick up the fact that we know that there's going to be um, some money that needs to be paid to Huron. So that's the driver there. Um, on materials and supplies, literally we did not budget enough uh, for PP&E and for the other COVID-related costs. Um, we, you know, we did our best. We had no idea, you know, where we would be today, as you all know. The variants have been, you know, uh, stretching our resources, and that the PPE usage has not at all gone down. In some ways, you could argue it's gone up because we have more patients and more people accessing it. So um, that's the the key drivers there. And then on the uh, labor slide, this is where the big variance is. Um, all in registry and additional volume in November. So 
Uh, we uh, are over budget by 78 FTEs. You can see that the month of November had more than the month of, uh, more than year to date. So that 78 is probably about a, a volume varies about a million. And the rest of this is call, additional call rates for positions and higher rates to registry. And we do have a critical uh, staffing or labor shortage. And it's not just AHS, it's across the nation. And uh, I think it's fair to say this has a lot to do with, uh, or almost everything to do with COVID. So uh, it is definitely costing us a lot more to uh, bring in uh, a staff. In fact, if I did the, just a simple rate volume analysis here, it's about um, over $11,000 more per uh, FTE if you equate it all out. So, and I think we've done some slides on that and we can, we can do those again on another time. I thought we had enough for tonight. Question on that? In the fall, we had a lot of discussion about a $7 million contract, I think for traveling nurses. Are, are we into that contract at all yet? My understanding is we have begun using some of that, uh, some of the people in that agreement. I don't know if anyone else can help me as to when we started and how much we're relying on that contract. Kim, I, I cannot, I haven't gotten an update from Lorna on it and the recruiting staff. Um, I don't know if Lorna's here tonight, but if she is, she might be able to give an update. If not, um, certainly we can get back. As um, I am here, I'm sorry, the delay. Um, as of Christmas time, so the week before Christmas, we were, we had act the contract, but we were still under a million dollars. I can get an exact number and report. That's not necessary. I, I was just wondering if we've gotten to the point where we're now using that contract. All right, and then we do have some offsets here because uh, with fewer employed people working, we do have some small savings and benefits and taxes and that sort of thing. So here's the FTE trend. Um, it's, it's uh, a bit concerning because you can see our um, adjusted patient days really aren't up, but our FTEs are. Um, so that's the, 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 the story here. There is some good news in the sense that we've eliminated this gap between budget and actual. You know, this was the, the leave of absences where we were giving staff 12 weeks of paid leave. But you can see now in the new budget year, we've eliminated this big, huge um, you know, over budgeting of labor costs, but we still have the, the fact that our total FTEs are going up. Here's the balance sheet indicators. A couple comments here. Um, our uh, gross days in AR went up again this month. Um, our goal is to get this down. Uh, so we've been going the wrong direction and um, the revenue cycle, like other areas in the organization, are having a lot of staffing challenges with people being off in COVID, uh, family leaves, that sort of thing. Um, so that that is unfortunate, but I, you know, I do think it's a, a blip, and that we we will still meet our goals. Our um, accounts payable improved. We were over 60 days at 9.1, down to 4.3. Um, 
This, I think, will go down again next month. I am aware of the fact that we were holding a bunch of legal fees, negotiating a better rate, which has been successfully done. So thank you, Ahmad and team, and we will be making those payments on those invoices. Um, down here on the net position fund balance, because we have this additional net income that is definitely improving the position of Alameda Health System. Our negative number is moving in the right direction. And our line of credit is still in great shape. Uh, again, it goes up and down because all of our um, vendor payments and payroll all come off that line of credit as do any collections we have. So it's kind of a net of all of the of our operations and it does you know, vary from month to month, but we're still way below where we've been in you know, years past and we're still way very much compliant. Here's the, uh, the uh, slide for the days in AR. Um, I included it in here just to show that you know, the problem is primarily in HB. You can see it kind of kicking up if you were to put a trend line here and you can see it really just started happening in this November timeframe. So that's just a very recent, you know, event. Uh, I will say that, you know, we are now implementing the um, best initiative and that does mean looking at um, redirecting staff to different work for long-term sustainability and improvement. And I think there may be some short-term negative impact um, of doing that. And here on the professional fee, you can see that we continue to trend down. So everything is looking great. And the cash slide is next here. Um, and you know, we've talked about how our collections have been higher each year despite COVID, right? This COVID had a huge negative impact on our volumes and no CARES funding is in there. This is just mostly patient accounts. Um, we do see that if you look at the first um, five months, we're 7.8% above where we were in FY21, which is great news. And I can't underemphasize what that amount is because you may think 7.8% is not that much money, but it is. It's you know it's it's 20 million dollars. So that's a, a nice pickup for AHS. So here is the uh, forecast of the NNB. We always need to be compliant with the terms of our agreement with the county. And those are uh, delineated by the black line. The blue line here is our current operations and they do jump around. You know, this is the end of the month. Here's where we are today. Um, we're gonna talk about this here in a minute, but um, we, are, we are gonna make that FY12 payment of 21 million. So we're receiving the ARPA funds, seeing a nice pickup here, and, uh, and then we're going to end up um, having to have to pay them out. So, uh, and then we get a bunch of funding in here, and it drops way down, and then it comes back up to the end of the year. And the red line is these recruitments, which uh, are all in the next table. The only other point I want to make here is the capital spending. We had planned to spend $32.4 million this year. And we've only spent 7.5, so we're, we're running a bit behind here. We're almost halfway through the year. And then um, I'll talk about the FY12 waiver here on the next slide. It's in this table. So these items are included in the graph. 
that these are the material drivers of that line because our operations tend to be flatter. So for the FY12 waiver in January, we're gonna pay out 21.5 million. Good news is it did reduce this. Uh, you may recall towards the end of last year, we were at 71 million. Start of the year, we were at 51. Now we're at 36. So these looming recruitments are slowly getting paid off. We do have these other liabilities that have not been resolved yet. And then these are the current activity of the supplemental funds. I talked about the HPAC and the AB85 realignment. We are gonna get that $45.6 million um, in February, but the likelihood is we will not keep it. We will end up paying it back. Uh, it will be not until next fiscal year, and we will extend this forecast out starting next month, another six months, and you'll see that. And then these are the other tiny um, items. There wasn't much change from when I reported to you all last time. The changes are here. There are just some little movements here or there. With the exception of ARPA, that's completely new. We didn't know anything about it. Last time I reported that this is the, this is the new funding that we're gonna receive and we're gonna use that to pay off the FY12 recruitment. Any questions? I have, I have a question, Kim. Um, on on the, first, the report that you sent out the first part of the package about, uh, there was a comment that said that the net payable for supplemental programs dropped by $53 million from October to November. And I'm trying to piece together how that happened and where that hits the balance sheet. So uh, are you talking about the change in the net supplemental? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so the, the, the change in the supplemental funding is uh, part of the, is part of my letter, you're correct. Um, I can pull that. Uh, I think it was on page 30 of the, of the package. And so let's see. Um, Yeah, so the net payable balance for supplemental programs decreased um, 53.3 million. And so this is a combination of us uh, recording the ARPA funds. So that was, uh, maybe I should go back to this slide here. Um, right here, so this, these are the, this is the, income statement side of that, right? So the, we recorded the ARPA funds. We didn't do the full 17.1, we did 15.1. Plus we had this increase in the GPP of 15.3 that we accrued. So that's a big pickup or reduction of 30 million of the 53 million. Then we had these other accruals here that also, um, would decrease the payable. And then this here is an offset. And then we have our normal monthly approvals. So for our, that are not, that I didn't talk about here because they're, they're consistent with budget. Okay. Thank you for that.
Any other questions? Coach Fox, I appreciate your attention to detail. You always pick up important things. Thank you for that. Um, Kim, are you ready to go into the year and audit report? Yeah. So let me share my screen again here. Welcome, Trustee Blue, our world famous White House appointee. Congratulations. Okay, so this this is a recap, just a, a quick recap of the you know of the FY twenty one fiscal year and audit. Um, I could have just stuck with uh, the just this the FY twenty one period, but uh, typically people want to see a comparison to previous periods. Um, so I went ahead and I I. I I'm going to talk about the major material differences between the years. Um, but I want everyone to recognize that, you know, clearly COVID has made, you know, huge um, changes between year to year. But I still think this is valuable. And, if, you know, if you have more questions or want me to do more, I can do that and come back at another time. But from a high level, um, if you look at FY21, 20, and 19, there's very little change in operating revenue. It's, you know, 2% or so. Operating expenses did go up, but less than CPI, so probably less than you would expect. Um, our uh, net income, uh, other operating is pretty immaterial. Net income was a loss of 30.6 in 19, and then it picked up for 21 and 20. And then if you look at EBITDA, you go, wow, you know, how did net income improve? And our EBITDA, um, how was it negatively impacted? They're going the wrong way, right? That, that would be the typical question there. And the reason for that is the, um, the cruel that we make in accordance with GASB 68 and 75 to, um, to capture expense associated with ultimately funding our retirement plan. And this is driven by how our investments are doing. So just to give you an idea of how much of a roller coaster ride this can put us on is in FY19, we had an expense for those long-term retirement funding that we don't actually pay, right? So it's not paid out of 61.9 million. So um, that would have definitely increased our expense here and we didn't ever pay it out. So it's increasing our EBITDA. For FY20, that number dropped to 24 million. So instead of over 60 million, we're paying 20, we're accruing 24 million, not paying 24 million accrual for those future costs. And then in 21, that became a credit, meaning that we don't have to pay it anymore because our investment performance improved. So, um, you know, I could have done a lot of graphs and stuff, and I still can if you want me to, 
but um, it really is making this EBITDA comparison um, a little unrealistic and maybe the, the expense of it. And I'll talk about that again in the next couple of slides. Um, the audit adjust adjustments, we, these aren't audit adjustments. These are actually our adjustments. I mean, AHS proposes them. It's not that the auditors say we need to make them. But there were, there always are significant ones. And so the, this list is not uh, anything different than you would have seen in, in other years. But um, for net patient service revenue, we, uh, we took a huge inflow in this audit period because we have stabilized EPIC uh, since the implementation. And I'm going to show you a graph in a few minutes that really shows this. But our collection ratio in FY20 was only 15%, and we ended FY21 at 18%. And I'll show you a graph on that in a minute. Supplemental funding is always moving around. As I said, there's, we're always chewing these up because we get you know, new information becomes available. Sometimes these funds are part of the safety net care pool. So you've got a lot of different hospitals that are finalizing their cost reports. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of movement in this. The, uh, the net was a 14.6 million reduction. And uh, as I mentioned, the AB85 realignment, you know, now we've got enough experience to know it's very unlikely that we're gonna be able to keep this funding. So we are gonna um, start uh, not accruing the revenue. We're gonna receive the cash, but we're not gonna, uh, uh, recognize that revenue. Measure A, there's always a true up because we're always running a few months behind. And then these are the actuarial reports. Um, these we never have in time to book in June, so we have to make these audit adjustments. So most of these are the run of the mill except for that net patient uh, revenue adjustment. And this is the graph that really shows it. So what you're looking at here is the blue line is our net patient revenue. You can see how it's um, trending upward. And then green is cash. So cash jumps around as we collect it and post it. This, uh, this line is all cash, including legacy cash, okay? So we were recording revenue along based on what we had available to us. And the auditors came in and said, well, wait a minute, I wanna look at your EPIC collections. I'm gonna do a look back analysis, which they did. They looked back in this period here where they were kind of low and said, no guys, you gotta take down this revenue. We don't believe it. We don't think that your, your net revenue should be that high. And I didn't at the time have much that I could work with because you know we, we were having huge trouble you know, collecting the Epic accounts. So we went ahead and we took this big net revenue hit. And then now roll forward to this year's audit. And you can see we picked it all back up. So now we were able to show the auditors that yes, in fact, we they look back on the AR balance at June 30, we're going to collect it within a reasonable amount of time. And so we were able to uh, make this adjustment and we were not comfortable doing it without going through this process with them. So um, I thought that was a, a, a great slide to give you an overall view from, you know, go live with Epic, all our cash and our revenue that we reported and the trend line where, where what we look like. So 
Um, I hope this graphic kind of gives you all a really good picture of the net patient service revenue. So then um, this is the uh, same slide that you see, just the comparative. Um, I'll just make a, a couple just brief comments uh, on these slides. And again, like if you want me to drill in more, I can do that at a later time. You know, really you can see the 12.5 and outpatient revenue uh, dropping, you know, COVID, a lot of elective cases were, uh, went away. Um, overall, uh, uh, 5.3, and then we're picking up now uh, in 21, one to close to 20. Uh, net patient revenue, we talked about that. I think I just went through the whole uh, graph. Here's the supplemental funding. A um, couple big items going on here. You really need to combine the Medi-Cal waiver and the supplemental programs because the um, waiver programs are being replaced with more quality-based EPP, QIP supplemental programs, which we record in supplemental programs instead of in the Medi-Cal waiver. So you have to look at them together. If you look at them together, there are 277.8 here and 371.9 here, but we received a big pickup going back to 2014 from the county for behavioral health. So uh, we were able to sit down with them and true up our cost reports and get some additional funding. Uh, and it was received here and because it was for all those prior years, we did not post it to patient. Well, we don't post any of the county to patient accounts anyway, but we do not, we did not include that as net patient revenue. It would just skew things too much here. So we recorded it as supplemental. And then uh, we're at 249.8 here, which look, you would think, oh, well, why are you going down? Should we be concerned? Our supplemental payments are going down. Well, it goes back to that old AB85 realignment in uh, in. FY21, we took down revenue that we had on our books for 19 and 20. So we really didn't have a decrease. It's actually um, uh, slightly faded. So that's the takeaway from it. And then um, I think that's it for this slide. Other operating revenue, it's the pharmacy is really what's picking that up. On the operating expenses, uh, lots of stuff going on here in 21 that's causing an increase. But if I really stick to just the really big material variances, you're going to see that, you know, the Oak Care contract went away. East Bay Medical Group was established so that those funds that were in contracted services are now in labor costs. Um, there is the issue that we have the credit that I talked about, the retirement here. So that's actually reducing the true increase. So that's an $18.7 million um, amount, whereas 21 would be higher here. So um, my point there being that this is actually being offset somewhat, but it, it really is a big increase. And these are the other drivers, mostly COVID related. Um, if I look at other expenses, really other than you know, the COVID, supplies, there's depreciation. And just as a reminder there, 
that depreciation is coming from the EPIC implementation and the fact that we opened the San Leandro acute rehab. So now we're depreciating those costs. And just, you know, I've talked about it in the graph on the current month, we are seeing, you know, FTEs kicking up. And you can see that there as well. On the balance sheet, just a couple points here. Um, our gross phase in ARs at 80 are down to 62. So even though we want to get these down more, um, seeing nice improvement. Our AP, we were in 19, uh, struggling quite a bit. Uh, there was a huge um, performance improvement project which involved our star team, and we were able to streamline our AP processes, and we can definitely see how they improved. <clears throat> and then in our fund balance, you can see improvement here. It did tick up in 21 uh, due to those additional, mostly uh, labor costs. And then our line of credit has really come down. So the cash flows improved. And that's it for this uh, presentation. Any questions or any follow-up you would like? Thank you. I hope I'm not putting you all to sleep. <laughs> Thank you. That was uh, chock full of good information. Great to, hear such a, great to hear such a favorable report too. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Nice to give favorable reports. <laughs> All right, we're going to move on to the next favorable report from our chief operating officer, who's going to punt quickly because he's a smart <laughs> man. You are so right, Trustee Esteen. And um, I'm here to introduce Mark Brown, who is our new CAO at Highland Hospital. Mark's been with us for four months. And for those of you who don't know Mark, um, he's a person that is out and about, out of his office, doing rounds, getting out, understanding things. Um, and I think his report today is his reflection, if you will, on some of the things that within his first three to four months with us now, he um, has started to focus on and try to help us fix. So um, I'm really pleased Mark is here tonight. Um, he just turned his visual on. And Mark, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it over to you. And um, Rana or, or, or Ahmad, are you bringing up the presentations? Or I'll, I'll, I'll run it, Mark. Can you they bring it up? It. They, they okay, it Mark. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. Uh, thank you, trustees, for the opportunity to be able to present. Uh, like Mark said, I started the organization in September. Um, and quite excited uh, to be here. I think there's a ton of opportunities. And you'll see, um, as I share my screen, um, let's go with that. Okay, let me move you guys out of the way. And, uh, there we go. So just some of the topics that we're gonna be covering during this. Um, I won't insult your intelligence by reading it to you, but there's about 10, 10 bullet points that I'm gonna cover. I know a couple of them are pretty hot topics um, considering some of the current surges that we've seen in Omicron. Um, as well as just some of the length of stay opportunities that we have. One of the things that I've been diving into is uh, looking at our ED uh, surge red uh, review. Um, the emergency department in Highland, as you guys well know from 
uh, the documentary that was out, um, you know, about almost 20 years ago, you know, we've got some opportunities when it comes to patient flow and, and our, just our number of borders and just sheer volume coming through the emergency department. When the emergency department gets to a certain level based off of a national scoring um, for the emergency department for overload called NEDOCS, if that turns red, then there's an announcement that goes out overhead and throughout the system that the emergency department here at Highland is in ED surge red. Um, that was supposed to actually trigger some things uh, back in 2019. Um, so I've been examining those checklists that's supposed to be happening when we go into ED surge red, working with the stakeholders uh, to look at those are still um, A, effective or B, even germane anymore if it's part of their standard work. So I've um, reached out to just about all the stakeholders. There's probably one or two more that I need to talk to when it comes to uh, their checklist and what, and what they're able to do with this. And then looking to see what we're gonna do with the whole ED surge red and to make sure it's actually impactful when we do have to call this um, and that the stakeholders that are out there, the ancillary departments, the nursing departments are supporting the emergency department um, in whatever ways they can. Uh, there are some back end issues when it comes to discharges um, that we're gonna be uh, working on and, and dealing with further down the road. Um, so this is something that I'm excited to be collaborating with the leaders on. A lot of the leaders are new, so they weren't even sure that they had these checklists or what they even looked like. So it was a good opportunity to re-examine that and have the leaders look at to see what the efficacy of, of those checklists actually are. Uh, one of the more exciting things that we're going to be working on that dovetails onto that ED search thread is the care optimization initiatives we're working on with the Huron Group. Um, the three big areas that we're working on is patient placement across the system, not necessarily just here um, at Highland, but making sure that we're utilizing all three acute care hospitals as a system. Um, our emergency department throughput specifically here at Highland, and then working on interdisciplinary team rounds and making sure that those are actually impactful um, and beneficial to the patients, to our physicians, uh, to our nursing staff, and to our care managers, and helping to manage um, length of stay and throughput um, through an effective uh, team rounding uh, with the patients up on the floors. Uh, we've had kickoff meetings and held the lead and the, the group stakeholders um, before the first of the year rolled out. Um, we're holding weekly uh, lead and oversight group meetings to make sure that we're keeping the uh, team leads on task and on point. Uh, they've got their charters and their expectations set up with their teams. Um, and they'll be meeting uh, bi-monthly uh, with each one of their groups along with a Huron uh, embedded in with them uh, to ensure that they're moving out with that. Um, so really excited to see how this is going to start bearing fruit um, as we move forward with it and, and help us with um, our patient placement and our overcrowding issues in the emergency department that happen, you know, probably at least a handful of times um, each week. And if anybody has any questions, please stop me and um, I can answer any questions or we can wait till the end. It's up to however the group wants to. Uh, one of the things that came out um, of our Joint Commission of Resources mock survey, which was held here um, October 5th through the 8th, um, was that we had some significant opportunities around infection control in ser sterile processing, uh, both here and then we realized that it was actually throughout the system. Um, so we're gonna work on systematizing our sterile processing across the three acute care hospitals, working on standard work, standardization of the leadership, standardizing the education when it comes to how our um, sterile processing techs are trained, how we track instruments, how we actually maintain our instruments and test our water and our steam, 
to ensure what we're doing for our patients um, keeps them safe um, and, and cuts down on any kind of hospital-acquired infections that may be a result of what was going on in sterile processing. Uh, this is a bi-weekly report out that goes to a ELT, um, so really excited to have it. Um, one of the good things that's coming out of this, we actually have a system-wide director for sterile processing. The position got approved, and I expect to have that position filled um, by the end of this month, if not sooner. We've got the three final candidates, so it'll be in the interview process in the next couple of weeks, so real excited um, to, to get that position going. I've got a good, good candidate pool and, and excited um, with those opportunities that I've been able to present for us. Um, one of the areas that was also noted um, during this time was that we have some opportunities around our code red response from Oakland Fire Department. Um, because we have so many new buildings um, for fire to be able to look at, um, the ACT, the HCP, the K building, everything else that goes on there, a lot of the fire, um, when they respond, weren't exactly sure how to navigate through the building. Um, they actually called me to the emergency department um, a couple of weeks ago, and one of the captains asked if I could speak with them because they got called on a false alarm, unfortunately, and we hadn't notified them of uh, that we were going to actually do an alarm test. And he had a standard process that they were used to working with. Uh, that was when the SO would, sheriff's officers would go out there and meet them. Um, at a particular rally point, and then they would guide them through to the point along with engineering. So we're going to reinvigorate that process and make sure we've got standard work reestablished um, to make sure that um, when Oakland Fire does have to respond to a real call out, um, that the process is seamless and that we're doing the best thing and the safest thing for our patients and staff around that. Um, that'll be, um, I believe it's a monthly or quarterly meeting that we'll be having with all the key stakeholders to make sure that we're on task and on target uh, to ensure that we're meeting everybody's needs around that. Um, as Mark mentioned, I, I absolutely loved around. I, I don't like being in my office. Um, I like being out around patients and around staff. Um, I think it gives us a great opportunity for a number of things. A, um, it allows me how to role model rounding um, with the different leaders, what expectations are on rounding on them as well as rounding on staff. Um, it allows us to be able to do on-the-spot corrections when we see anything that needs um, improvements or engineering issues or EVS issues that allows us to fix it in real time. And that's a pretty big satisfier for both patients and staff around that. It's also allowed me the opportunity to develop relationships um, pretty quickly in my tenure here. Um, I, I don't just round on the, on the patient floors. I get a chance to round through EVS, uh, through the lab, through pharmacy and, and other areas. So it gets staff an opportunity um, to become comfortable with me and actually uh, enjoy talking with me and bringing up issues that may be out there. Some of the opportunities I have noticed though, um, as I've rounded is that um, just some consistency in the way our leaders here at Highland round um, and communication and teamwork we have between the different units, uh, still working on making sure we're not siloing um, and that working together as a true um, organization in a hospital to make sure that we're troubleshooting any kind of issues together. And that way, Leaders and staff don't feel like they're standing out on the tip of the spear all by themselves out there. One of the other things that um, we've been working on um, is our sepsis. And just a quick reminder for those of you um, that's just a quick definition of what sepsis is. And sepsis is a, a body's overwhelming or impaired uh, immune response to any kind of um, infection or injury. It's basically the immune system gone wacky um, and, and it causes 
some severe complications. From a person standpoint, um, the human toll um, in the United States, one person dies from sepsis every two minutes. One in three patients who die in a hospital have sepsis. And nearly 270,000 Americans die each year from sepsis, which is more than lung cancer, breast cancer, and AIDS combined. Um, sepsis cases have been going up every year. Um, and people that are diagnosed with sepsis that are discharged from the hospital are two to three times more likely to be readmitted to the hospital, more than heart failure, pneumonia, COPD, or heart attack patients. So it's, a, you know, obviously with that, it takes a huge financial toll. Sepsis is responsible for 13% of all U.S. hospital costs, um, and the U.S. spends about $24 billion on hospital care for patients with sepsis. Um, on average, um, the length of stay is about 75% uh, longer for patients that do have sepsis. Um, it's approximately the double cost of any other diagnosis. And more importantly, there's, there's a 12% increase in mortality for every hour that sepsis goes undiagnosed, which is why the sepsis compliance and bundle compliance is so important. Because of the cost that's been associated with sepsis, um, the Centers for, for Medicaid, CMS, um, has a bundle out there that hospitals um, are held to for a compliance rate. And it wraps up around timeframes because, you know, mortality and, and identifying and getting early treatment for sepsis is the best way um, to allow people to be able to combat and beat sepsis. Um, we need to have a fluid bolus on patients within three hours and then six hours and then antibiotics start in a certain time and blood culture start in a certain time and then a repeat reassessment within six hours and then a continuation of that. Um, we've actually done okay here at Highland. Um, our quarter three overall bundle compliance with that is 52% compared to 49% for the national average. Um, we can do much better. Um, we should actually probably be much closer to about 90% when it comes to it, but we've done better than what we have before. A lot of the areas of opportunity that we've looked at are, um, and I hate to use the, the, the phrase, but it's low-hanging fruit. It's repeat assessments within six hours, and that's on the physicians on the floors um, to do their repeat assessment within those six hours. Uh, doing the resuscitation or the fluid boluses within the three-hour time frame. And then a really um, seemingly easy one to be able to adjust, which the lab is aware of now, is the repeat uh, lab, which is lactate within six hours. You get an initial one and then a repeat. So we're working on these and, and uh, we've got a sepsis committee um, for the hospital that um, we are reinvigorating as well as one that's um, system-wide that we're gonna be looking for accountability and ensuring that we're doing the right thing for our patients. Um, the mortality rate for sepsis and septic shock combined is, is right around 30%. Um, so there's a, a, a large opportunity we have uh, to ensure that our bundle compliance is higher and higher so that we can uh, decrease what our mortality rate is when it comes to, to sepsis and sepsis shock. Um, oops, that was the wrong one. Um, another really um, exciting initiative that we have here at Highland is we're starting a point of care service line with the miniaturization of equipment and the portability of it, um, we feel this is a great opportunity for us to be able to build a service line out around um, the technology that's out there. Our first phase of this um, will be around point of care ultrasounds. 
Uh, ultrasounds have been around for, for a long time in the emergency department, but they are large and unwielding. Um, they're, not, they're portable, but they're, they're not really usable. These new ultrasounds um, are handheld. They can be used with an iPad um, or an iPhone. Um, they only require one probe instead of five or six probes that these other ultrasounds use. Um, I've actually got three companies um, that are going to be um, giving us a test drive, so to speak, um, and some physician leaders that'll be looking at that as well. I've got about 10 physicians um, that are going to be looking at these different uh, point of care ultrasounds uh, to see which ones they like. And we'll look at a pricing and, and what they are. For the most part, they're between two and five thousand dollars um, for these handheld devices. And it's really exciting because it can help decrease some of our length of stay, cut down on our decision time in the emergency department. Um, they can be used to look at fractures. They can be used to look at uh, breathing and lungs, um, abdomen issues, um, joints. Um, the, the time that it can save from getting a patient over into radiology um, and get some sort of uh, definitive diagnosis and moving forward um, can be ground changing with how we use these on the floors um, in the emergency department. Anesthesia can also use them when it comes to line placements. Um, so there's just all kinds of opportunities around this. And because there's such a great advancement in the miniaturization and wearable equipment when it comes to um, EKGs, ECGs, blood pressure cuffs, um, we feel this is a great opportunity to start this service line um, and move forward. And it's just an incredible opportunity for us to be on the cutting edge of it. We have um, world-renowned ultrasound um, research and ultrasound physicians here at Highland. Uh, we have two that lecture um, nation and worldwide on the use of ultrasound. It's just an incredible opportunity to be able to share our wealth of information as well as allow our physicians um, who are world renowned for this to be able to use this technology at the bedside as well as teach our residents and eventually our nurses on how to use this um, equipment as well too. So just really excited um, to be able to roll this out and, and to move forward when it comes to it. Um, just a quick update on our leadership positions um, that are open here at Highland. Uh, we've got the EVS director, facilities director, um, the system-wide sterile processing director, um, and then the, under that same um, blanket, the sterile processing managers for San Leandro, um, Highland, or uh, Alameda, and then the outpatient clinics, all of which are in the final interview process for candidates. So we expect to have those leadership positions filled, hopefully, um, by the end of the first quarter, if not sooner when it comes to that. So really excited to see that. I'm really excited to get the staff and the, the patients supported um, around getting those crucial leadership positions filled. And that is it. As I was told, I had about 20 minutes, so I tried not to speed through too much, but respectful of your time. So are there any questions from anybody? All right. Thank you, trustees. And thank you, Mr. Fratsky, for allowing me the opportunity. Thank you, Mr. Brown. That was, Thank you for your report. Yeah, that was good. Lots of good initiatives. I'm excited to hear about ultrasounds and sepsis control and all these good things, especially the roll down of education. That's always best. Uh, so up next, we are gonna hear about performance improvement initiatives from our very own Kim Miranda.
You're muted, Kim. There's multiple screens. If you don't do everything in order, you're in trouble. <laughs> All right. So, um, so this is the performance improvement update. And we have branded it best, Building Excellence, Sustainability, and Trust. And this is the joint initiative with Huron. And um, we are wrapping it all into one uh, initiative. And this, these initiatives will grow, and you'll see why in a minute. So we still kept our legend. Um, you've seen these items before. These uh, first two slides are things that we built in the budget. So right in the middle, you can see the amount of improvement that we built in the budget. And uh, in this tracker, we've, uh, we're tracking the dollars and then we're using the legend that, uh, that uh, blue being complete, yellow, we need to be concerned slightly about, green is good and red is we're not achieving our target. So. Um, you've seen these before, so I'm just going to kind of run through them quickly. Over time, um, our baseline was 3.8%. We built in the budget 2.7, and we're running 3.5. So we're, we, there is improvement despite all of the staffing issues, all the shortages, all the registry. We are still above or running better than baseline, but not to what we built in the budget. So we're not gonna, we do not think we are gonna achieve this. We've called, we've called it yellow, whether it should be yellow, red, you know, is probably up to anybody's judgment, but we do not think we're gonna be able to pull that down by the end of the year, mostly based on, you know, what's going on with, with COVID and the variants and our census and the registry. So um, that's the overtime initiative. The next one is length of stay. Here we are also um, running better than our baseline. So we have improved. So baseline 5.33 days, we're running at 5.19, but we budgeted 4.75 and we built in 6.6 .6 million. Right now, it does not look like we're gonna achieve it. We, we will be short 5.7. However, in this case, we do think that we will be able to drive this and we'll be talking about more of that tonight. The next item is the, sorry, I skipped it, is the uh, revenue cycle improvements. We're green here. We're green because we built in 3.9 million. Uh, we've achieved 1.6 already. Uh, and uh, we are, I reported earlier on the uh, financial slide, the one-time improvements that we brought in, and we're already seeing improvements in charge capture. And we still have some more uh, contract negotiations going on. The cash flow is yellow because we went the wrong direction. We were improving, improving, improving. And then um, we've uh, gone the, uh, the wrong direction the last couple of months. 
uh, we did budget that we would get to 50 and we would, we would bring in an additional 15.8 million. At this point, we've only achieved 2 million of that. For payer contracting, um, we've closed four of 10 plans. Um, we are struggling a bit with payer contracting in the sense that it's difficult to get payers to come to the table. We, we've, we set out a goal to have contracts with all the major payers for uh, hospital and professional doctor fees. And uh, we're, we're getting a lot of pushback, uh, particularly with the blues. Um, I don't have an update for you today on that, but we are hoping that we will have some good news here within the next 30 days. Um, we do think that we're gonna achieve the amount of money that we built in here, maybe because we were overly conservative, um, but a lot of this is uh, being driven by the United Healthcare and the uh, CDM flows that we did. The next item is John George. We put yellow here mostly because developing metrics has been difficult because John George billing operation is not in Epic. It's on paper outside of Epic. The county bills for us. So I will get a report uh, this month actually as we negotiate the FY22 John George rates. And I will know what our denials were and I can update all of this. And in addition to it, we're uh, building some other process metrics internally just to show how we're doing on uh, moving this whole initiative forward. The next item is the dental clinic. Um, this is now expanded to having all of our <laughs> or most of our clinics on the Highland campus become FQ. I have great news tonight on that. Uh, we've agreed with the state that on March 1, and AHS and our, all of our teams have agreed we can do it by March 1. So beginning on March 1, we will bill as an FQ for most of the clinics on the Highland campus. Um, it'll be a while before we see the cash because um, what will happen is we'll continue to get paid at our interim rate which in most cases is higher than our clinic rate, but it's not what we ultimately will settle at. We're gonna end up doing a settlement going backwards on our costs and then eventually, uh, probably in a year or so, or maybe more, unfortunately, we will actually get the difference between our interim rate and the final rate. The last item is the HPAC and we are doing better than budget. So we're trying to keep as many patients in-house as possible. And of course with COVID, uh, some of these, uh, some elective work is probably not actually happening. This next slide were the performance opportunities that we did not build in the budget. We just didn't have enough information and we didn't want to be too aggressive. So we left these out and we called them stretch performance opportunities. Um, the first one being IOP. We weren't sure whether we were, what we were gonna do with the program at the time. We had our new leadership. We wanted to do a deep dive and really understand what was happening in IOP. We now know that we will likely improve this stretch performance and possibly more. Um, we, we now know that we can, how to build if we properly document, if we, can, we are working on setting up Epic and we're actually gonna go back to Medicare for a year and rebuild. So this is another huge win for Alameda Health System. 
that, you know, that uh, Mark Bratsky and, you know, Mark Amy, all of the leadership team have been engaged and we're really seeing some, you know, positive movement here and I'm looking forward to coming back with uh, the, the fruits of the labor. Sitter management, uh, this is another item that we put about a half million in. Um, this one I don't have an update on today and I think it's it's just goes back to the, the staffing crisis that we're in. I don't know, if Mark, you wanna say anything here? No, I think um, prior to COVID, I think we were doing pretty well with our sitter hours. Um, I think they've, they've bumped up right now and with the past month or two with the acuity of our patients. In this case, we did not build that in. So it's not a negative hit to the financials. Um, this next item was just a, a, a placeholder for uh, for the Huron partnership, which we are branding BEST, and we will roll all of these initiatives into BEST. And we had a $10 million estimate of what we thought we, we would realize. Keep in mind, this is the November update. So Huron was only here, you know, 60 days or so um, digging in. So I don't have an update here, but I am looking forward to bringing this back soon. Um, I think that there's a lot of great work happening. I see it in supply chain, pharmacy, revenue cycle. Uh, we don't want to double count in these. We'll have to work that out, but we will be um, coming back uh, with much more on this. And then the last item was just an overall metric that the leadership team wanted to include in this, um, in this report. And it's, it's, it's an idea, it's just FTE for AOB. So it's just an, it's a benchmark that we can use to, to compare ourselves to other organizations, which we do plan to do, and also to ourselves. So um, we budgeted 5.52 and we're currently above that. You saw that we had a, a negative variance in FTEs this month. So we're running as of the end of November at 5.62 and our target was 5.46. Obviously, this is a big opportunity for us. If we can get, if we can align our FTE with our uh, uh, AOB. So- uh, What is AOB? Well, benchmark that you think is important that should be part of this analysis. Kim, can you just say what AOB stands for? Oh, I'm sorry, adjusted occupied bed. So it's a, it's a way to look at our uh, our total system. So the adjustment is for revenue. So we include the, uh, uh, the formula for the, that, in, that incorporates outpatient revenue. And then we use beds because we, we don't, we want to get our length to stay down. And so by looking at beds versus patient days, we uh, do a better job of reflecting our overall efficiency metric. And we can come back and talk more about that. Are there any questions about the, the performance improvements here? There's one comment and that is that with the heavy winter months ahead, it seems like overtime and some of the other um, operational objectives will be really stretched uh, over the next couple of months. That is correct. Yep. 
So if we're going to improve and get some of those toward the targets that we set in the budget, um, we're going to be looking probably for the fourth quarter of the fiscal year to really kind of you know, kick butt and slide into home on those. Yeah. Thank you, Trustee Fox. Uh, yeah, it's uh, we dig a hole. It's really hard to to get out of that, and you know, based on what's happening right now with labor and our census, uh, yeah, it'll be the fourth quarter. I'm sure before we can really start to to uh, improve these methods, and, and that of course assumes that COVID becomes under control. Right. Well, I'm excited to see how we can come around from this uh, FTE piece. The registries are definitely eating us alive. And uh, I think the best review is probably very timely because the next item on the agenda uh, is a contract action item. And the contract, uh, Mark Fratsky will take us through it. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. 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 Are you ready for that, Tristia? Yes, sir. Go right ahead. Okay. Great. Well, I just want to reflect, and, and by the way, I want to, uh, um, Ira Holly is here, who's our contracts VP, and we also have on the line, if there's any specific questions for here on, um, Sean Cleary and Matthew Thompson, who have been helping, have actually been leading the, the initiatives at, at our organization. But I want to take us back in time a little to May 2021, when the board approved a 12 to 24 month, 100% at risk here on contract that had um, for the first $4 million savings up to four, up to $4 million, um, Huron would be the beneficiary of 50% of that and after $4 million and beyond 25%. And we were projecting, you know, 25 to $30 million annually um, in savings or revenue enhancement. And I got to tell you, we've evaluated this. We're in early stages of evaluation now through November. But I can tell you, we're going to be saving millions. I'm not going to give you a number tonight, but that 10 million that Kim put up, um, we will beat that. That would be my guess, um, significantly. And um, and so, in the next 30 days, when we have vetted the numbers clearly, I look forward to sharing with the board the savings we've achieved thus far in Rev Cycle. Um, the um, supply chain and pharmacy at this point. And in that initial contract, we did put in there assessments of other things we may want to do, like working with our medical staff, East Bay Medical Group on um, productivity, um, process improvement, et cetera. We put a holder in there to evaluate throughput, um, ED, et cetera. Um, and with those placeholders, if you will, we evaluate every one of them and we determine when we want to start and we determine the complexity of the work that needs to be done. So this addendum in front of you tonight for 2.4 million is that assessment, if you will, of the complexity of the work in three areas, ED throughput, our call center, and, and revising and improving our processes to place our patients anywhere in our system, and then the interdisciplinary team rounds. And we project um, with, these, with these three initiatives, 
to hopefully help us save up to $10 million, um, I, I believe this first year. Now, um, this contract is a little different than the first one. The first one is 100% at risk. This one is a hybrid of fixed 2 million, followed by the rest being at risk. The reason for that is the risk and the complexity of the work. Um, it's much different than the work we've done so far in that there is a great big bolus of labor from here on um, that has to come into our work groups, be embedded in our work groups, bring their expertise to bear, look at, with boots on the ground at all of our processes. So from a here on perspective, it's much more labor intense and the outcomes aren't quite as clear as some of the outcomes in a higher risk contract. So that's the reason this contract is slightly different, if you will, than, than the first one. Um, so with that said though, um, the contract is the $2 million fixed. The first zero to $16 million savings um, here on will get 12.5% of that. And after the 16 million, 25%. So that is consistent as well with the first um, contract. So um, again, 2.4 million total. We've already begun to start the work in these areas. And I gotta tell you, the work that we're doing have long plagued Alameda Health System. And frankly, if this work had been done a while back and we had really efficient throughput, withstanding the impact of something like COVID um, would have helped. So um, we're really looking forward to putting the past problems and issues with throughput, multidisciplinary team rounds, systemization of bed placement for our patients behind us. And we know it's a heavy slog, but we're up to it. And um, we're really pleased that we have the opportunity to do that with the Huron Group. So that's, that's what this is about in a, in a nutshell. And I'll just open it up for any questions you may have. Um, I got a couple. Yes, Doc. Um, so I'm, I'm expect, can the board expect that we will begin to see payback in the 2023 fiscal year budget? 2023, um, yes. Yes, the 2023. Mm -hmm. Do you think that you're, you know, you talked about $10 million in first year savings. Do you think we'll have our first year benefit? Do you think we'll have that for the 2023 budget? Yes, I do, Alan. I'm really optimistic about it because we're overachieving right now with the first contract. And I have a great okay. deal, deal of confidence in our leadership team and the partnerships they're developing with the Huron Consultants. Good. Okay. Uh, one more question in the, in, the, in the presentation that was sent out, you talked about the various components of where the $16 million total expected benefit would be. Um, and I, I guess the answer is already evident from what you've already shown, but um, are you planning to report back on the savings component by component of that $16 million? 
Yeah, I'd like to see that, Alan. I really would. And that isn't something specifically I've discussed with Huron, but I believe we can do that. Um, at least associate um, best we can to those three areas. I think if you're not making it, you know, or you're make you're doing less than you expect, it'll be good to know where you're not. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Mr. Frasky, for that presentation. So I guess this one is to you and to Ira. So uh, just for clarity for my, for, for my brain, this is our second contract with Huron and it's running in parallel, but yeah. integrated work under the best uh, yeah. naming. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, it, it, it's a, an addendum to the main uh, contract. Sorry, it's an addendum. Yeah, yeah. And, okay. and it does run parallel to it. Okay, and I guess my questions were uh, sort of uh, related to Trustee Fox's questions were because this addendum carves out three specific areas, uh, which is under a different payment plan than the high risk mm -hmm. contract at yep. 50%. So we yep. just want to make sure that attribute, because this one's actually cheaper for us, right? <laughs> uh, uh, we want to make sure attribution goes to the right place. Yeah. So uh, I guess the firewall between the, that other work in these three places is it's we're, we're trying to establish that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll do, we'll do, we'll certainly do the best, the best we can. We, we know um, as it relates to the very first contract, the initiatives that belong there. Okay. And we clearly know the initiatives that'll belong in this addendum. Mm -hmm. And I would guess um, that there could be other addendums that come forward in the future as we continue to continue to ferret out the complexities of some of the work in front of us. Maybe not, but um, I don't really see our engagement and our work that has to be done in the organization stopping with the current initiatives that we're doing. Got it. The original contract in this one might go to IRA too. What were the what were the the, the dates of the original contract? So these are is it still 115.22 to 115.23 or is it was it longer? I, I just can't recall. Ira, you're, Ira on you're on mute. Thank you. Sorry about that. Um, the terms of the first contract, um, it was effective in May, and it is a um, up to two-year term agreement. So there will yep. be overlap with this agreement. Yes, sir. Wonderful. Thank you, Ira. I appreciate you're it. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Mark. You're very welcome. Question about... Uh, the cost of this, because the first contract, while this one also has a percentage portion yeah. um, that's related to savings, the flat fee of $2 million um, is uh, substantial, $2.4 million. What happens if, and though I hear we, it sounds like the projections are excellent and we're overperforming already, um, is there any insurance policy for the system if we underperform? Um, I would ask that of Ira. Um, with regards to an insurance policy, I'm not exactly sure how to answer that. With regards to limiting our losses, if you wish to call it that, if there was um, poor performance, um, there is the ability to terminate early. And in that case, we could reduce the amount of our expenditures, certainly um, by those termination terms. 
Trustee Esti, if I may, um, so there there are some. Uh, so we do have the ability to terminate early, but but um, what usually would happen in this case is if there's uh, if we're just not seeing uh, savings, then there is a process that's in place. Um, uh, which includes the executive steering committee, which I believe Mark and our executives are a part of. They would just say no. They would say no. We're not gonna. We're not getting savings out of this initiative. We're not gonna move forward with this. So setting aside the you know the termination provisions, uh, we have the ability to give a thumbs up or a thumbs down on these things. On the fixed portion, the two point that we we are committing to correct yeah yes because they you know they're they're doing the work so uh yeah. trustee fox are, are we going to have clear guidelines uh between us and Euron in terms of how the savings is calculated yeah yeah we've actually have a uh along with our steering committee we have a committee and Kim is on it and I am on it. And there's a couple of Huron folks on it as well called the benefits, I think, committee, where when monthly payments to Huron have to occur, we dig down deep into all the data, all the financials, where we believe um, the savings have actually occurred. And we come up with a mutually agreed upon amount. Um, that happens continually. And that's why, uh, Trustee Fox, I was hesitant to give you the millions of dollars we've saved thus far until that group gets together, which will be mm -hmm. soon. Because yeah. Yeah. I, I can see with the new contract where Euron has a 24% earnings capability that that, you know, what, seeing eye to eye on how that's calculated, yep. and how different things are treated, mm -hmm. could have big implications in how yep. much money we pay out, yep. how much money they yep. earn. Yep. Well, we're tough. We're yeah. But from a contract point of view, I mean, uh, the projected ROI might occur within the first three months of this contract. You know, this is at year one, it's projected to be a 4X ROI, so a return on investment. So I think this is a good roll of the dice for us. And then we're, and then we're left with gains after, uh, which are the infrastructural components. Yeah, then we're left with sustainability. Yeah, You're right. Left. You're right, Taft. I mean, and, and I got to tell you, part of what Huron is helping us with is before they exit, we'll have a sustainability plan that we're going to be executing on for all of these initiatives. So they just hopefully don't get dropped. Uh, if somebody leaves, um, the game can go on. It, it shouldn't have to stop. And one more question. How many years of gains does Huron participate in after after the first year? Um, uh, Ira? Um, this, um, this is a limit for them. They have one year. So whatever the gains are during the term of the arrangement, which is estimated to be 12 months, then those are gains they can um, stake a claim to. After that, the recurring um, gains on an annualized basis are solely ours to benefit from. Are there any more questions, trustees? This is uh, another opportunity for improvement. You know, I wonder, 
uh, Mark, you alluded to the potential for more initiatives to come forward, for more areas of improvement to be identified. Um, and I imagine that there are plenty of areas that we need to get more efficient on and improve. How do we make sure that we uh, identify those and try to bundle them into the, the kind of like we did the first time, the biggest contract yeah. so that we don't continue to have all yeah, these I, different it's kind of a con It's a conversation our executive committee has. Um, you know, I, my guess is that many of the initiatives we consider in the future, some of those will be within the 100% risk, trustee has seen. I, some of them though, like this one, might be so darn complex and resource intense that we have to consider other options to get them done. But I really see um, that initial contract being, um, I guess, the burden for many of the initiatives that we consider bringing forward. It's, it's ongoing discussion and ongoing um, negotiation. All right. If we have no further questions, um, we can take action on this item. Uh, Trustee Friedman and Trustee Fox, it's just us. I move approval. Okay, I second. Can we get a roll call vote, Rona? Yes, just confirming, Trustee Blue, you're not in the room, correct? All right, I just wanted to, I'm sorry, what? She had to jump off. Okay, good, I just wanted to make sure I didn't uh, not call her name. Trustee Esteen. Yes. yes. Trustee Fox. Yes. Trustee Friedman. Yes. And Trustee Splendoria. Yes. Thank you, the motion passes. Thank you. And with that, we are coming to the final portion of our meeting. We did not have an educational item tonight, um, but if there's anything that trustees would like to add to our tracker for follow-up or additional education as we move into the next month and the subsequent months of the year, now's a great time to call that out and identify it. Otherwise, we will adjourn. One, uh, one item while everyone's kind of thinking about that. Yeah. Uh, in regard to the best presentation where we branded it best, I would like the board's approval to post the version that I, I uh, uh, shared with you tonight. The only difference is the headers. There's no content difference, but uh, because it is a change from what was posted, I do need your permission so that Rana can uh, update the, the permanent record. And will that also be noted in the minutes so that we don't have to adjust minutes uh, at the next meeting? Yes, I'll make sure it's included. Great. Sorry, I'm, I'm not, I just didn't follow that. What are, what are you gonna be posting? Uh, so the, uh, the best initiatives, in the version that you saw in the in what was posted last week, the headers don't say best building excellence, sustainability, and trust. 
And we want to brand this initiative that. And so I use that presentation with those headers with you. And I want to put that in the permanent record versus performance improvement. It's a very minor change. It's just a matter that we wanted to brand it. And I would like to have what's posted in the permanent record reflect uh, what, uh, you know, what, we're, what we want to do with this initiative. It's not very minor. It's just, mm. you know, probably a total of 10 word changes in the header. <laughs> do we need a motion for that? No. Well, no. I think we can. I think we concur with that. That's fine with okay. me. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I'll make sure to get the records updated and note it in the minutes. Thank you. Right. All right. Thanks, everybody. Happy New Year. And thank you Happy so much New for Year. joining tonight. Masks and wash your hands. Absolutely. Stay home if you feel Happy safe. New Year. Thank Happy you. Good night. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you.